We're too easily pleased, don't you think? You know, boxed wine, frozen dinners, diet, anything, and the ever so wonderful Taco Bell. And yeah, so what all these have in common is that they're a lesser imitation of something else, right? These aren't really like the ultimate things that we hope for in life. And these are all for illustration's sake. I don't want to step on your toes. Um, I think I talked about Taco Bell the last time I preached, which I realized as I was practicing, and I'm just like, well, now everyone knows that it's really my favorite. So, but but the, point, the point is, like, there's compromise. We compromise easily. Authentic Mexican food, like Mexican cuisine, which my roommate is from Texas, and he's like, you've probably never had it. But, like, it's better than Taco Bell, right? But Taco Bell's easy, and it's close. Good aged wine in a real bottle... The box stuff has nothing on a good wine. A frozen dinner, I don't even think is real food. (laughs) But it's all easy. And that's what makes it seem like it's this strong desire. You know, if Taco Bell were like 20 minutes outside of town and we could only get there by riding our bikes, I'm pretty sure none of you would go with me. I would still go, that's the joke. Uh, But the world isn't set up to help us make these good, lasting decisions, right? To seek those things out. Society cheers us on as we settle for these cheap imitations of relationships and entertainment and wealth. We're consumers and we're encouraged to consume and to not put much thought into it either. And this happens to me, um, this comfort and compromise in exercise as well. Taco Bell, exercise, it's a, it's a bad cycle. Some of you might relate and others are just like, dude, you're lazy, get over it. But I prefer my immediate comfort to the lasting benefits of what would come if I exercised, right? Like outside, the thermometer is up at about like surface of the sun temperature because it's Indiana and it's summer and it's awful. And so I'm like, I already showered and I'd have to change my clothes into workout clothes and change into regular clothes and it took me 20 minutes to pick out which blue t-shirt I was going to wear. So working out is just, like, exercise is not in there for me today. And so I, I completely ignore that I might have more energy, I might feel better and have focus, and that I would be caring for the body God has given me. But I ignore all this, and I choose the lesser desire of my couch and air conditioning, uh, which is pretty bad because my air conditioner doesn't work that well, so... That's an even lesser desire, you might say. But, but some of you may experience this with work or um, with your schoolwork. You know, anything that's immediate and easy is pretty quick. You're pretty quick to make those decisions. And then we're quick to ignore the, the goal in the future. Like, steak and shake and hanging out with your friends is always an easy desire in college over studying and maybe the future job and all of those things. You know, afterwards, when you consider what you've gained, you're like, ah, that probably wasn't, like, that great of a decision because now I still have to study and I don't feel well because I ate a Frisco melt or whatever. (laughs) So, let's... (laughs) Not with the terrible jokes. Um, So, let's consider the season of life for those of you who are believers. When you first became a Christian, I think it's just, like, that change that was produced inside you and this immediate, like, shift of, like, no, that's sinful, like... I gotta get rid of that. I gotta get rid of this. And you see God's grace and experience it in such a powerful way. And then like maybe a couple weeks or a couple months later, it starts to fade a little bit. And then if you're in that funk and in a little bit of a rut. And if you don't have community, 
and encouragement around you, you may find that you're going back to those lesser things again, right? Because it's easy, especially without community and people around to encourage you. You know, the things that you learned in Christ that you were so set on start to fade and your heart goes after these lesser desires of this world. And we've forgotten the gospel. So today we want to look at Jesus' teaching about treasure in heaven. We want to realize more clearly the things we've turned to and compromised over the greatest treasure that we could hope for, which is Jesus. And so I hope that his word today will stir our affections, that will cause us to see this greater hope in his kingdom over the things of this earth. And C.S. Lewis says this in The Weight of Glory about our desires. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Our desires are too weak. I know they feel strong, but I really think that that Jesus is telling us here that they're weak, that we settle too easily for earthly treasures and that we need new desires. So we're continuing in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, page 691. If you have the great ESV Bible in your row, I ask you to stand with me as we read God's word this morning. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to to take one of those with you and read it. Let that be yours. Mark it up and and just know it. That's that's our gift to you. All right, let's read. We're in verses 19 to 24, chapter 6, 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, um, for the words of Jesus that um, put into perspective the things of this earth and the things of your kingdom, of your perfect heavenly kingdom. God, we need um, a soft heart We need new desires by your spirit um, to even take this in and understand it. God, we know that we're we're selfish and we're greedy and we're prideful. And God, we need you to change us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. All right. So we're going to talk about um, things kind of in pairs. We see this split up into two treasures into two visions and two masters. So we're going to start with two treasures. And before we dive in, I want to kind of preface all this by saying that we need to first kind of understand the context of this, that, that 
our, the gifts God gives us are good gifts, right? Have you ever received a good gift, you know? I don't want you guys to get so nervous about the, the treasures in heaven that you're like, man, I'm going to have to like empty my bank account and get rid of all my stuff um, and, you know, never be happy again, which isn't true anyway. But, but let's, let's have some context. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, you know? God is the giver of good gifts. Do you have, are you married? You know, do you have a family, kids? Do you have the opportunity now or did you to get an education? You have a job that provides for your family. And did you wake up today with the ability to breathe and enjoy another day? Those are gifts through and through as grace from God. We can't assume that they're bad and that God really doesn't want us to have them because they're gifts from his hand. So we need to have some understanding of that before we jump into this. But, but let's, let's look at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, Jesus gives us a very practical statement here. And I love that about this. He, he's asking us to think logically about this. He's saying, your desires for the earth are weak. Moth and rust destroy. Thieves break in and steal. So he's saying, don't, don't hoard up all these things, all these possessions. And don't put your hope in them. Don't make them your ultimate hope. So it's not a prohibition against saving, against being wise with your money. It doesn't mean we don't have an emergency fund or save for retirement or ever invest. And it doesn't mean that we don't have things in our homes. It's not a call to poverty. But we are called to be good stewards of the things that God has given us. Proverbs tells us to consider the ant who works in summer to store up what she needs. Right? And caring for our families, seeing that they're taken care of, is a command of the Christian. God gives us these gifts and he does it because he loves us. So the call then is to put them in their rightful place under the authority of the giver. Give him the glory for being so generous to us. But it's hard because we are sinful. This is a call to live with open hands, right? To release that, that grip that we have to hold on and control all of these things. Because, Jesus said, it's all fading away and it's all temporary. It's never meant to be our treasure in the first place. In our sin, we've set out to worship those created things instead of the creator. And this is a worship problem. It's idolatry. We've settled for this lesser desire. And so we need a new desire, right? This is the, the part to me that just that stood out so much and kind of struck me is that, again, it's very practical and we're quick to ignore this. But Jesus is saying that all these things you store up here that you build up and try to save and, and keep for yourself, they're going to be destroyed by a tiny little bug and some moisture. Moth and rust. Now in Jesus' time, this would have been directed at kind of the main two, the two main possessions that people had, right? Precious metals and their fabrics and their clothing. So very pertinent, you know? Moths are going to eat holes in all your fabrics and rust is going to corrode and destroy your, your precious metals. You know, today this, this might be like our TVs burning out and our cars breaking down. You know, corrosion, rust, whatever. But I mean, moths. Like, if there's anything I'm... There's maybe nothing I'm less afraid of than a moth. Like, don't love spiders, don't love snakes, 
things with sharp teeth, scary, don't like that, whatever. But moths, I'm like, that doesn't sound that scary to me. But when you consider our possessions and the fact that a moth can just destroy that so simply, like water, I'm not afraid of water, love to swim, like the rain, but like a little bit of moisture will take this beautiful, shiny thing and corrode it and make it into nothing. So Jesus' point here is that we can actually see and know the future end of our possessions here on earth. Yet we're often surprised that they go away, right? We're surprised that like our car breaks down and that our TV went out, um, that our 1998 dinosaur computer like won't, Facebook won't work or whatever, you know, just silly things. And it's like, we know the end, we can see it, we've experienced it. History shows us those things are coming. So that's a lesser desire, right? Those things seem strong in the moment, but is, is that really such a strong desire? If they're going to fade away and be destroyed? Like, I really think that's less than God's kingdom. We could gain the whole world and never have enough. We'd never be satisfied. The pursuit of treasures on this earth feels strong, but if we consider Christ's words, we'll see they're lesser. And we have to think about it this way, put it, putting this all into perspective as we have with the Sermon on the Mount. Christ is the ultimate example of not treasuring the things of this earth. He's tempted by Satan when he's in the wilderness. He's offered all earthly kingdoms and dominion of it all. And what's his answer to that temptation? He says, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He doesn't say like, No, I'll take half of that, and then the other half is for God. No. Flat out says, I don't want it. That's worthless. It pales in comparison to his father's kingdom and his father's purposes. So then Jesus tells us to lay up treasures in heaven, verses 20 and 21. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, this is practical. Put our hope in eternal things. This is a display that God wants what's best for us. He's pleading with us to hope in the things of his kingdom. Things that are true. He actually likes us. He wants us to see the things of this world as cheap imitations and see him in his glory and his holiness, his perfection, and know that that is far better a desire. He wants us to be satisfied far more deeply in him. I love that song that we sang, Satisfied in You. So our hope in heaven is secure in what Jesus has done. And Paul expands on this in Romans 8. He says, Nothing can shake us from his hands. Neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, or powers or height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? That's a, that's a good hope. That's a good and better desire. So we should do good deeds. We should build up our character as we learn more about Jesus. And we should do all that for the glory of God. Not to store up some name and reputation for ourselves here, but to put our hope in the things that are to come. Because we see the end of this world. Verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we have to be careful with this, right? 
It doesn't mean that we avoid everyone and cut ourselves off from the world because that's of no benefit to them and really to us. You know, we don't head for the exit and we see that Jesus embodies this perfectly. You know, he doesn't head for the exit. He doesn't completely isolate himself from the world. He was fully set on doing his Father's will, on proclaiming and living out the hope of the kingdom of God and he does it right in the middle of the world, eating alongside and doing life with the people that needed to hear the good news of the kingdom the most. So we should engage our world with this greater hope we found in Jesus. We should steward our gifts well and invest them, if you will, in eternal things. And not, again, not so we can like have this bankroll going in heaven so that when we get there we're like, cool, I invested a bunch and like now I have a sweet pad in heaven. Like it's for God's kingdom. Like we're making it about ourselves again and, and it's easy to do, right? All right, so practically, if our treasure's in heaven, what does that mean for us as the believer, as a body? Well, it should mean that we can freely give, that we can love, and we can serve. It's a selfless attitude. If our treasure isn't in this earth, then our resources and even our plans and our time, we can give those freely because we know that they're limited, they're temporary, and someday they'll be gone. We hold them, again, with open hands. We receive them with an open hand, and they go with an open hand. With a grateful heart, we'll accept those. And when we do that together in community, I think it'll start to look like the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, 45 to 47. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's going to draw people in when we live in this way. It'll show the evidence that we have been saved by Christ and that we are about his kingdom. You know, it's not, things aren't mine, mine, mine. It's not a closed, clenched fist, an open hand. You know, where our treasure is, there our heart will be. And so we don't just do this as individuals. That's a, that's a hard thing. We, we hear this and it's like, all right, I got to go home and I got to sell these things and I got to stop liking these things. And that's hard to do by yourself. You need the body. The The church in Acts, they weren't like each doing this individually, right? So we have this opportunity to do this together, to invest together. And when this happens in community, I think it's going to open us up to a more joyful life. To see that these things really, the things we go after here on earth, really aren't as good as we had hoped they were. And that life together in community, loving and serving one another selflessly is much more joyful, much more enjoyable, and far less stressful than the things we go after here on earth. In the words of my friend Sarah, it's all going to burn anyway, right? Some of you know that really well. You've heard that before. And, And it is. I mean, we need that perspective that these things are temporary. So build one another up. Encourage one another. Here's a call. Live in this world in such a way that with everything you have and in everything you do, you do it for the glory of God and the good of his kingdom. And that all sounds really good, but how do we do that, right? It's not an easy thing. 
Well, we need a better vision. So we're going to move on to verse 22 and 23. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Here's what Jesus says. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. The call is to fix our eyes, which could also, you know, sometimes fix your eyes, fix your heart. But I really want us to kind of see this as fixing our focus on Jesus. It has a lot to do with our understanding, what we believe about God, because that informs our views of this world. You know, before we really understood and the, the Spirit had allowed us to even understand what Christ had done, we walked according to whatever our heart desired. And we still struggle with this now, right? So it's, it's sometimes not enough to just try to fix your heart. Like our minds need to understand as well. And in the Holy Spirit, our minds have been opened to understand the truth. Excuse me. <clears throat> God has rescued and redeemed us in Christ. That's the vision that we need to lead us. Our hearts are still dark. You know, we can't just follow our heart or we're going to wander off somewhere else after, after other things that are lesser. Jeremiah 17.9 says, Our hearts are deceitful above all else. You can't just follow your heart. We need our minds to be renewed that our heart could then respond from that new understanding. We need a new desire. If our vision's fixed on darkness, on the things of this world, our life will be full of that. Following our hearts into a bunch of little idols that never deliver, that are fading away, will never be satisfied. So Jesus has given us this better hope in his kingdom, and we need to fix our gaze there and be moving toward the light, toward his glory. This is a call for us to remember the gospel. So we need to fix our minds on the things that are above. Let it change our heart, right? So there's this little section at the end that sounds a little odd. It's kind of confusing. Uh, The second half of verse 23. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? How can light be darkness? That's that's a weird weird way of saying that. I'm guessing that has something to do with the way we translate things. but, But consider this. You become a believer, you're really excited, and and after a while you kind of slip into this like facade of keeping up your self-righteousness. Like I'm trying to earn my way, I'm doing everything I can to look really good. But all the while you're really building this reputation in this kingdom here on earth. Like that's what, that's the heart of this verse. That's what it's getting at. Like if this light that Christ has given you, if you use that for darkness, that's an even greater darkness than just being blind altogether to what Christ has done for us. We're using God as a means to an end for ourselves. You know, it's like the TV preacher who is thankful for his fleet of SUVs, his yacht, and his three vacation homes. And he masks it all as, yeah, God gave all these to me, and I have this great life now, and everything's good. Like, what, what a darkness. What a great darkness, if that's what we think the hope of Christ is, that we could accumulate a bunch of wealth here on earth. You know, for us, this is, you know, building our name on something God worked in and through us. Taking advantage of these people we're put in charge of, in charge of for our own selfish gain. Stealing credit and claiming that God's work was really something that we brought about. What a great darkness. 
This is a weak desire. We see the things that God promised promises us are much greater than anything we could gather here in this world, any ministry we could build, any success we could experience. But this is scary because it's subtle. Just like the world slowly lures us in with these weak little desires, our hearts can quickly make us think that these, uh, these gifts that we have need to be elevated into gods, right? Little g-gods. So the new desire, the new vision we need so that the light in us doesn't become darkness is to gaze upon Christ who gave up everything. And this is the gospel hope that we need. Jesus came to the earth humbly and he saw only his father's kingdom. He laid down his perfect life as a ransom for a bunch of selfish idolaters like you and me. And he nailed our debt to the cross and he conquered death. He calls us clean. He gives us his perfect record. And finally, this greater hope as he resurrects from the dead. We have this immovable hope now in Jesus that one day he's coming to make all things right. So this is the gospel hope. John three sixteen and 17. We, all, we stop short of this a lot. I don't think I've ever used this in liturgy before um, just because I'm like, everybody knows John three sixteen. They're not even going to pay attention. But John three sixteen and 17 together are so good. And we can't ignore it because we learned it in Sunday school and had to memorize it for like six years in a row. And, you know, like we can't just breeze over these things. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is our hope. It's an everlasting treasure that we can fix our eyes on. This is a vision that will make our lives full of light. And the problem with setting our vision on things of this earth, on this idea of darkness, is that they're going to master us, right? We need a new desire. We need a better master. Let's look at verse 24. It says, No one can serve two masters, For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now this idea of money actually probably is better translated as possessions. So I might say money again because just slip into that. But but think possessions overall. And this isn't just material things, but even um, what we might possess in, um, I don't know, in, in... respect and, and reputation or something. Um, so, so really this passage isn't just for the rich, which we may often equate it to. And it's not something we get to pass on because our bank account's low. Masters take many different forms and they're subtle. As we've said, they present themselves as a gift. And when not handled properly, not seen with good vision, they become these little G-gods that we've been talking about. You know, these things we treasure and put an ultimate hope in over Christ. So let's talk through some of these things. Family. If your treasure is in your family, you'll pressure your kids or your spouse to be perfect, to meet all your expectations, and it's unrealistic, and it's going to let you down. That's not a good master. But it'll demand all of your time and all of your attention. 
If you treasure your health, you'll be mastered by diets and schedules and the ability to manage and keep yourself healthy. And then if you get sick or someone you love gets sick or diseased, your identity as a healthy person's crushed. You're only secure if you can protect that. And you're not in control. Wealth. Your possessions will be so dear and precious, you'll become a slave to their demands. And whether that's the meticulous care of them or this insatiable call to collect more and more of them. Again, you could gain the whole world and it would never be enough. What about your status? Mastered by a constant need to prove yourself, to be your own God, to be in control of everything. We make crummy gods. The self-made individual, you know, it's all my doing. That's really hard to keep up. And how about our intelligence? You know, we'll constantly be in fear that someone else could be smarter than us or that we might be wrong or worse yet, that someone finds out that it's really just a facade and we're pretending. You'll be mastered by their opinions. In all of these things, we're never really going to reach what we're after. These things get challenged, these things get lost, and not only do we lose our treasure, but we see we've been a slave to the demands of these things that we hoped in. They required our full attention and devotion. And this is what God says in Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. He's not going to share his glory with your temporary things of this earth. He's a good master and a loving one. He doesn't want us satisfied or even seeking it in those things because he knows it's going to leave us empty. And he knows that he's a better master. His desire is that we would find our satisfaction in him. So don't be mastered by good gifts. Treasure the one that's given them to you. The one who gave all for you. Jesus is a better master. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And his treasures are everlasting. They're undefiled. They're promised to us as heirs with Christ. Paul prays this for the church in Ephesus. He prays that they would know, oh, excuse me, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? The call is to live life with open hands and a thankful heart, knowing we're responsible to steward the good gifts we're given and to further God's kingdom. Ultimately, to believe in this better hope that's offered by Jesus, the promise of eternal life, and the joyful presence of our Creator. We need a better treasure, a better vision, and a better master. We need new desires. So we need to pray for those. We need to seek them out. We need to be in the Word. We need to be able to distinguish what is light and dark. We need our minds to be changed so that our vision is clear and set on him. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word. And God, I pray um, for each of us in this room as we consider it and sit under the weight of your words, as we begin to realize the things that we've treasured above you, above your kingdom, above your eternal purposes, God, and, and seeing that, God, they're fading away, that they're so fragile. God, give us a, a better vision for this hope we have in you for an everlasting kingdom that can't be taken from us. God, we need new desires because we settle far too often. And we know that that's only found in you. Help us to see that, that this attempt to gain a righteousness of our own by working really hard is futile, that it, it's leaving us empty. God, for those of us who are worn out and exhausted from trying to work so hard, would we just surrender to you as our loving Father today? God, would we open our hands of the things we have, not fearful that you might take them, but knowing that whatever you give and whatever you take is ultimately for our good and for your glory. God, change our hearts and fix them on that hope. Work in us by your Holy Spirit. Give us new desires. Change our hearts, God. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.